Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kreski on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. In the past few episodes, we've posed the same essential question to critics, a filmmaker, and a curator. What's the view from where you're sitting? That's come to mean a couple of things. What are you watching these days? But also, what's life like from your perspective of the film world, and the world in general? For this installment, we looked within our own organization, Film at Lincoln Center, and spoke with our colleague, Eugene Hernandez. Eugene is the Deputy Executive Director at Film at Lincoln Center, Director of the New York Film Festival, and Publisher of Film Comment. I joined Clinton Crute and Devika Girish to talk with Eugene about his observations on our film community in these troubled times. We also discussed a very special comfort movie he watched recently that's also a personal favorite of mine. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is our daily edition of the Film Comment Podcast, the at-home edition, as we've been calling it. We're all spending a lot more time indoors than we would ordinarily, and not for the greatest of reasons, of course, but we're doing our best to keep watching movies and keep each other company. Uh, I've, I've been very pleased to be joined by uh, my colleagues, virtually at least, um, starting with Clint. Hello, Clint. Hello. Uh, Clint's our digital editor, as well as Devika. Hi, hi. <laughs> we, we run a tight ship, you can tell. Um, <laughs> and uh, every episode, we also have a, a very special guest. Um, in the past, we've been connecting with uh, critics and filmmakers and, and other figures in the industry. Um, and this time, we decided to uh, look, look within, look inward um, at our home base here at Film at Lincoln Center uh, and see how the view looks from, from here. Um, and for that, we're very pleased to be joined by... Uh, Eugene Hernandez. I'm the Deputy Executive Director at Film at Lincoln Center, uh, Director of the New York Film Festival, and Publisher of Film Comment. Hi, everybody. Hi, Eugene. Hey. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. I haven't seen you in the flesh in a long time, but it's nice, <laughs> to, hear, it's nice to hear your voices. Sorry we're not in the same place right now, but it's nice to hear your voice. Yeah. It's good to hear that you're doing good, too. Um, I'm always impressed by how by Nick's intros. He's always coming up with fresh ways of describing our current moment of framing framing our right. uh, circumstances <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's, it's a wartime president thing you know it's like a, oh yeah it's a fire, fireside chat you know Nick's um, really address got that. every morning to the <laughs> film public <laughs> yeah that's right no it's really all about it, what this really is about is is giving me the, the control of the remote at nights uh, you know because i have to do it for work i have to watch certain movies for sure no. <laughs> <laughs> um but, I, um, I just want to. I just want to say out loud uh, on behalf of your listeners. Um, I want to say thank you for the work that you all are doing because it really. Um, this, you know, we all. I'm going to speak for the whole world right now, and, 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 and say as that, you, you should. Know, 
<laughs> we all feel so disconnected from each other in many ways. Um, I'll speak for myself. I feel very disconnected from people uh, right now. And I know that opportunities like this to not only be on this podcast and talk with you, but also the opportunity to have been listening to it uh, the last number of days. And it brings uh, it brings a bit of connection to uh, what can be an otherwise um, sometimes challenging daily existence. I'm sure everybody feels that not to be too, you know, uh, glum about all this, but you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, our, our interactions with humanity are limited right now. Um, and you know, that's why I think so many of us are, are getting on, getting on, I don't know about you, getting on zoom and, and other places in the evening to, to talk to friends and talk to folks over dinner and, and drinks sometimes. And, um, and this podcast has been a really special way to, uh, to maintain a connection with uh, something we all obviously care so much about, which is, which is movies and passionate conversations about them. So thanks. Right. Thank you, Eugene. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm absolutely f- feeling the same way. That need to connect. Um, and yeah, this is you, partly this is... selfish. Uh, I think <laughs> the podcast yeah. because it's our own. It's our desperate sort of cry for company around <laughs> movies. But it's it's just a happy accident that it benefits other people too. <laughs> I'm glad we can cry together. Right. <laughs> We're lucky we get along too. That's right. that's right. Usually, well, we, for for now, we'll see how yeah, it goes. on the record. <laughs> yeah, week three, it's yeah. just Nick sort of okay. muttering into a microphone. <laughs> Hopefully, we can get into a nice kind of gray gardens kind of mood. You know, with, you know. Oh, most... oh no, <laughs> I'm just preparing myself. That's all. Hold um, on, hold on, hold on a moment. I need to feed my cats. Uh, one second. Of course, cats are a very important part of the Film Comment yeah. podcast. That was my that was my Grey Gardens riff, you know. Cats. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wait, I, I thought, thought this was podcast I'm, verite. I'm, I'm, cooking real. I'm, I'm, I'm not only recording this podcast from my bed, but I'm also cooking lunch and feeding the cats at the same time. Oh wow! Oh. <laughs> very great garden. Great man yeah, of least retirements. So, um, I mean, yeah. As as we were, we were mentioning, you know, this is a chance to kind of see the view from 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 elsewhere. And um, how how are things looking? How are things holding up? But you know, what are what are things you're thinking about um, in, in terms of either the life, either life or industry? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, those are great questions because um, you know, I think for for so many of us, um, so much of our our lives can be often very much intertwined with the work that we do. And in my case, um, you know, I've, I've been working in this, in this, in this film world for, you know, 25 plus years. And so I have so many close friends who are also people that work in film. I have a lot of friends who don't as well, but, um, but many of the people I'm engaging with on a, you know, during the day, during the work hours, um, are, are folks that I would, I would frequently see, you know, uh, see often uh, throughout a particular week at various events or the screenings we all go to or, or, you know, down in our theaters um, at Lincoln Center. Um, so, you know, that back to that comment about connection, um, it's just, I think, I think for a lot of people, I'll just speak, speak for myself. I think I'm just still trying to figure out how to navigate the meaningful ways that, that we can still connect with people that are important to us, whether that be personally mm-hmm. or professionally. Um so it is it is strange in a certain way, you know, not to have those those daily interactions in person with people. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I referenced it earlier. Um, I don't know about you all, but I but I've been organizing with friends these kind of evening happy hours where um, we get on we get on Zoom 
And, um, you know, it might, inevitably it'll be like a couple of us talking, reconnecting with friends. We, you know, usually uh, just kind of just talk about what we're all doing or thinking or, or sometimes what we're watching. Uh, and then inevitably we'll start dialing in other people and someone will just, will kind of just start adding people to the group. And suddenly it's like eight or 10 people um, kind of spontaneously <laughs> coming together, um, which can be really fun. And it's interesting because I, I've, I'm, I don't, I'm someone who doesn't really like to do kind of online um video chats and like zoom and stuff like that i guess maybe it's just me not wanting to like sit there and stare at my face while i'm talking to someone else it's just strange um right right (laughs) but uh but there's been something very um comforting and reassuring about um about doing that in this context so uh so i found myself much more comfortable and much more personally at ease sitting in front of a camera talking to other people um, and kind of forgetting very quickly that the camera's there. And somebody was saying this to me yesterday, like being able to, to see people in such intimate environments, you know, you're, you're in a lot of these, um, kind of online, uh, video chats, like, you're, you know, you're, you're, I was talking to a friend the other day and he's sitting there with his cat. Uh, another friend is, um, you know, sitting in her kitchen, um, you know, very casually dressed, very, you know, just like, just like hanging out at home. And, you know, I don't know about other people who listen, but, you know, in, in New York, at least, um, we don't spend a lot of us don't spend a lot of time in time in other people's homes. We get together mm-hmm. at bars or cafes or restaurants and and movie theaters. Um, but with um, the situation we're in now, we're we're really being brought in through technology into people's kind of intimate spaces and seeing them kind of I think in different ways. And I think it's creating this kind of different type of of intimacy among personal and professional relationships that I'm still kind of navigating and becoming comfortable with. But I think that also is uh, can be very um, comforting. Yeah, that's really uh, that's that's really interesting. Actually, I've been thinking we've been watching uh, News Hour every night, and I've noticed that they all the correspondents are now uh, you know zooming in from their apartments. Mm-hmm. So even these public relationships that you have with these you know these fig these news figures, you're now like seeing what they the paintings that they have on their wall and like their dog asleep on the couch behind them as they report on you know world affairs. So you have this. I feel like uh, we're all, in some ways, that technology has allowed us to kind of come, uh, you know, there's a more slight, somewhat more intimate understanding of each other when mm-hmm. we when we engage that way. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm also wondering, Eugene. You know, uh, these same technologies like Zoom and a lot of other software that we have now to connect with each other virtually, people are organizing film events around those as well. Uh, there's some festivals that have gone online, you know, people are doing Q and A's via zoom, people are watching things together. I know FLC, uh, has also partnered with, uh, Kino Lorber to do these, uh, virtual screenings of Bakura, for instance. Um, I'm wondering like, what are you excited about with all these, uh, new possibilities, but also, you know, what's at stake for you? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Devika, because I think that, um, one of the, well, one of the things that that so many of us um, are concerned about and really thinking about a lot um, are, or is the, the 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 fragile nature of of theatrical exhibition right now because we don't know when we're going to be able to watch movies again collectively in big groups in movie theaters, uh, and and you know some of the the articles that I'm reading about the kind of the long term prognosis for our 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 social lives over the next year to 18 months um, seems to indicate that, that we have the possibility of, 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 
of that ex- of that experience, that theatrical experience being quite disrupted, um, considerably disrupted for the next long period of time, even beyond mm-hmm. the the immediate um, sort of moment that we're in. You know, that this current moment might last a couple of months, but there might be other moments like this that last mm. a few months uh, down the line. And that's, that's daunting and scary uh, just from a social point of view. But I know f- also from a, from a distribution point of view to talk about the industry for a moment, I was just before getting on the, um, on this podcast with, with you all. And the reason I was a little bit late to our uh, scheduled uh, recording time was that uh, I was talking with, with, uh, I won't name drop him because I, I didn't get his permission, but I was talking with the head of a, of, a, of a distribution company. And this is such a disruptive moment, uh, not only for audiences, but, but companies that, that release the kinds of films that, that we're talking about. And we'll talk a minute, in a minute about Baccarat and what we've been supporting on that end. But, um, but bigger picture, um, this is such a disruptive moment because um, the, the, the life, the long-term life of a film really relies on, um, in many cases, having a, that robust kind of moment when a film can be, can debut theatrically. And, mm. you know, it starts at a festival and critics start writing about and talking about a film and the audiences mm. that go to festivals who are like the, the diehards, right, that, that are really like passionate about um being on the front lines of discovering new cinema, start talking about it and they start telling their friends and tweeting about it and posting about it on social media. Um, that really helps to, to position a film and create interest in a film. You know, you, you can imagine a whole different world in which, um, you know, Parasite didn't play at the Cannes Film Festival and then a bunch of other festivals and slowly builds this groundswell of interest that then, you know, multiplies as it as it starts slowly making its way around the country and expanding into more and more theaters. Um, right now, the challenge is uh, for a lot of this for a lot of these distribution companies is what do they do with with films that that they feel really need that critical support and that critical um uh, attention and the audience kind of um, momentum that can be built over the course of multiple months before the film is even available to the to a wider mm. audience. Um, this is this is such a disruption in the way that films are even processed or released. Um, and talking with with the head of one distribution company just earlier today, um, there's a lot of concern about um, what the what the environment will look like once we're able to gather together again in movie theaters. And there's also right. a lot of concern that we don't let the theatrical experience be too easily cast aside or forgotten. What can we do to invest right. in that theatrical experience as a concept once we all are able to come back and, and be in movie theaters together? Right. right. To, yeah. to keep it alive, even when, even though we can't access it right now, I think that's an yeah. interesting and- like challenge for us all. Yeah, and it, and it's such a difficult challenge too because uh, you know it's, you're sorting out just logistical challenges of how to deal with with you know it, titles and, and and releases that have been planned, and then these existential questions, uh, which all of us were in different ways were, were grappling with, just in terms of you know say streaming or and and viewing habits and and, and that sort of thing. So it's it comes at a particularly I mean fraught time um, for for everyone. Well, you're, you're exactly right, Nick. And I think that it's uh, to go even darker and deeper into this um, <laughs> for just a moment. And, uh, and I don't want to, you know, we'll, we'll come back around to, to Devika's uh, question about Baccarat because that's a, that's a glimmer of hope. But, yes. but just to sort of set the, the stage, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's such a devastating moment for 
art house theaters and a challenging moment for art house theaters in this country right now. I serve on the provisional board for the Art House Convergence, which is a network of uh, it's a it's a group that organizes a conference in in January and then is is a kind of support system for the network of art house theaters, uh, mission driven art house theaters around this country, um, most of whom are independently owned and and um, are not for profit organizations. And it's a it's a really difficult moment right now for organizations who um, rely on such a big amount, a large amount of their revenue um, from their box office. Uh, mm-hmm. And for that box office to be um, to be closed, literally, for, um, you know, for the next, uh, in, for the unforeseeable, you know, or I should say for the foreseeable future is, um, is, 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 is close to devastating. It's going to be devastating even, uh, it's going to be devastating literally um, in the coming weeks and months. Um, so right now, so many different art house theater owners and heads of not for, not-for-profit organizations who I'm talking with, uh, and I've been having conversations with um, for the past week and a half or so, are making extremely painful decisions about um, how to continue to staff their organizations. And, um, you know, they're facing, and some have already made, and, and other organizations just in the past two days have made announcements about, um, you know, layoffs and um, and cutbacks. And it's, um, it's, a really, it's a really scary moment because um, so much of the arts in this country is not funded by, by you know, grants uh, and and money from the government. It's you're relying on on generous philanthropists in your own communities, and you're relying mm-hmm. on your loyal audiences who become members and and then come back in large groups to watch movies frequently. Uh, and when you can't count on 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 that, that that revenue, and when you can't project when you'll have that revenue um, uh, available to you again, it 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 means that that a lot of um, organizations that are that are surviving, you know, sort of um, almost like paycheck to paycheck, um, just like individuals do, uh, it makes the choices very, very difficult. And it, 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 it creates a domino effect that, that, that I don't need to detail here, but it's quite obvious to, um, to anyone, you know, listening or thinking about it, what that domino effect will be and the, and the economic impact that has on communities and not to mention the people that work in the theaters and running these organizations. And it's, it's a really, it's a really intense uh, moment at this liter- literally right now. Yeah, I, and uh, just just going back to also, um, I mean, there's a question of, I guess there's a source of a certain source of hope, just in the sense that it reminds us of how we're all interconnected as well. Um, yeah. And I mean, not that we, we weren't aware of that, but it just becomes very starkly vivid at a moment like this. Um, and I guess that's kind of that kind of connectedness and, and collective uh, and cooperative maybe sort of action is is one one way out of this for, for some places I'm sure yeah that's exactly right so I think I think a lot of organizations ours ours included you know film at Lincoln Center but so many other organizations like ours are having these you know these deeper existential conversations and questions and 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 to get back to where we started this this part of the conversation that uh, uh, Demica mentioned Baccarat, it's some of the the anxiety and the concern about not only revenue, but about how to continue to engage with an audience at a time when we can't invite that audience uh, into our theaters um, is, is inspiring um, some experimentation and some creativity 
Um, you know, Baccarat is a great example because Kino Lorber uh, had the film out in release. And this is a film that, that was, you know, obviously, as you've talked about in this podcast for months now, it was a film that, that debuted at the Cannes Festival last year and played at a number of other festivals and has been on, you know, best of lists and critics and audiences have been talking about this movie. And it's, inter- it's, it's, um, theatrical release was interrupted by by this um by the situation we're in right now and um kino the distributor uh wisely and quickly uh switched gears on their release strategy and um connected with and tapped into this network of theaters that i was talking about a moment ago the folks that are part of this kind of broader collection of folks known as the art house convergence and a number of the theaters that are part of that that group that network um are working with Kino, the distributor, to offer the film through through an online uh, distribution model, uh, and and some of the revenue, just like in a first run release booking at a theater, some of the revenue from uh, every single one of those downloads goes back to the theaters themselves. So um, it's it's just one example. Um, there are multiple others other examples that I guess I'm not probably in a position to announce right now because there these deals are being finalized but there are other films that we for example will be releasing uh we're scheduled to release theatrically at film at lincoln center that will follow a similar model and and the distributors will work with with us and with other uh, art houses around the country to make those films available to audiences who would have been able to see them in the theaters and instead make them available online and some of that revenue will go to the theaters themselves and um, you were you were talking before about uh, you know the need for film to kind of have its its spotlight or, or debut and that how there's there's almost a kind of a, a life cycle um, you know there's a life of a film and ha- you know for a film like Baccarat I, I guess it benefits a little just from ha- having those previous platforms uh, or spotlights you know at the Cannes Festival at the New York Film Festival I, I wonder how this 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 plays out with movies that you know, are kind of coming into the world almost for the first time uh, or, uh, or, or in, maybe even, you know, in the case of certain films with a festival that, you know, ended up having to, to not, to be not happen or be postponed. Uh, that's a great question. And, I'm, and there's a perfect example. And, and um, the movie I'm thinking about, as you asked that question is a movie called she dies tomorrow. Uh, it's a film by uh an actress who's also a director, Amy Simitz. Uh, the film was scheduled to premiere at South by Southwest, and they actually did. They were able to do a couple of screenings uh, right before South by Southwest. They were doing some pre-festival screenings uh, um, for for press and, and other folks and buyers um, right before the festival got canceled. So the film had actually played to a couple of audiences in theaters in LA and New York. Um, Neon has acquired this film. Um, out of those screenings and ahead of its, uh, or, or, or sorry, I should say out of its uh, canceled South by Southwest um, festival appearance. And we're still waiting to hear what their plan is, but the understanding is that they may do something a little bit different and, and release it uh, fairly quickly or um, do something kind of um, a little bit different with the release um, to try to build on some of the attention that the movie um, has gotten just from being uh, related to, you know, just, be, just from being connected to South by. And what's interesting about it, if anybody has uh, who's listening might have seen it or heard about it, it actually, without giving too much away, um, it actually kind of the subject of the film or the story of the film is is about sort of a contagion that is impacting 
um, a number of people in a particular community. And it's a contagion that may be tangible and real, or it may be kind of more emotional. Yeah, I, I, I did get a chance to watch it um, um, b- before. And yeah, I talk about a movie that somehow, you know, was was had its had its you know, finger on on the pulse of some something. You know, it's it's a little uncanny, more than a little uncanny. Uh, the movie, and it it is a movie that very effectively uh, conveys a sense of dread that we didn't know would be immediately illustrated in the real world as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, curious to see what Neon does with it because we were talking on yesterday's podcast about you know what you were saying, Eugene. Like it's hard to mark something as off the moment now, because when something lives on the internet, it lives with things that, you know, old and new things. There's no kind of way online uh, to separate out things as contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of strategies they develop to to be able to give, you know, the film its own little spotlight. Yeah, no, I think it's true. And these, these are the exceptions. And I think at least for now, there are the exceptions. We'll see if they become the new models. But, but I think that uh, the, the bigger disruption is just that, you know, how, how can we, how, how and when can we get back to a scenario in which a film can, can have that opportunity to grow its, its, its profile over an extended mm-hmm. period of time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we uh, pr- just had as a guest, uh, Nick Pinkerton, who was just talking about, you know, what is contemporary cinema right now? Uh, you know, it's because you begin to think, is it the movies that are out now? Uh, well, what does out now mean when when there are no theatrical releases and et cetera? It kind of sends you down uh, a certain spiral <laughs> that we all went on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, before we do spiral, um, that's why we have the second half of this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us back. Bring us back, Nick. Right. Pull us, pull us on the brink. Pull, we're pulling <laughs> up. We're avoiding the mountains. Yeah, um, we, wa- we always walk right to the edge, gaze into right. the abyss, and then pull back. <laughs> then shake it off, walk it off. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Jay Hoberman on Thomas Heise's essay film Heimat is a Space in Time, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Plus, Spike Lee's trusted costume designer Ruthie Carter, Isabel Huppert in Lulu, George Romero's Lost Film, and much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. But uh, we, you know, we also are are watching movies, uh, and and I think uh, Eugene, you were, you were mentioning that, the, that there was one particular movie you saw that uh, maybe offered some uh, some some comfort and was a nice uh, release. Um, I thought it was really interesting. The more I think about it, I, I now I want to watch it myself. I have to dig up my, my copy. Well, I have to say that in this case, uh, you know, in preparation for this for this podcast, you you um, asked me to that I might suggested that I might talk about something that I'd watched recently. Um, and, and I didn't, I'll tell you what the movie was in just a moment, but I want to just say as, as background, I didn't know what I wanted to see, uh, what I was, what I was looking for. I just knew that I, I needed something, um, humorous and soothing and, and something that would, that would, um, I think even more importantly would, um, like a good yoga class would, uh, kind of occupy my mind and, 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 and prevent me from from letting my mind kind of stray to the reality that we're in. Um, and so I was I was 
scanning the Criterion Channel, which I think is, you know, I'm going to put in a plug for them because I think, um, you know, Criterion Channel is just one of the most um, well curated and essential uh, services available. There's so many other platforms that are terrific and that provide any number of great uh, opportunities for us to engage with, you know, films or series or documentaries or whatever it might be. Uh, but, 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 but I'll give Criterion the love right now because I just, I pulled up, you know, the other night, uh, opened up Criterion on my Apple TV and I didn't really know what I was looking for. I was just, it was like that old, that old, um, process for uh people who are of a certain age walking into a, a you know a video store and just kind of wandering the aisles until you find that thing that kind of jumps out at you and and i was looking to be taken away and, and, and carried away by a movie and that's why i landed on jacques tati's playtime because i think to my earlier point um having seen that movie on a big screen and i think the last time i saw it was uh when we showed it in in a 70 millimeter a few years ago now, uh, Nick, you might know what year it was, but yes. a bunch, of, a bunch yes. of years ago now at the Walter Reed theater. Um, and I think that as I, as I landed on, you know, as my cursor or whatever uh, landed on that film on my TV, I, um, I immediately, it immediately triggered such warm memories of watching it on a giant screen uh, at the Walter Reed Theater and in such, a, in such an amazing experience, having such an amazing experience, it, it gave me memories of that. And I knew and I knew kind of what I just said to you, which is that it would it would occupy me uh, in so many different ways and challenge me and engage me in so many different ways. Maybe that's a better word. Um, and it did it, you know, for that two hours, I just felt completely transported. And it's a movie that um, that always for me i've seen it many times but i'm always seeing and and discovering new aspects of it and it's a movie that um is really really fun to listen to just as much as it is to look at um, oh yeah and and just like you know i like to i spent time kind of looking into the corners of my of my tv um to see to, to try to notice things or kind of walking up close i found myself leaning into it and trying to like you know like i didn't end up free i could have spent a lot more time with it i could have ended up freezing images and spent a lot more time on it but i just kind of ended up moving myself closer to the screen to kind of notice little details things you can't do in a movie theater um yeah. And it was just, it was such a, it was such a wonderful experience. It really, it really was uh, special. Yeah. It's, it's such a great film. Yeah. I, I, and I do, I think I might've gone to that uh, 70 millimeter show, showing it. I mean, it is a movie, it is one of the movies like 2001 that when you think of it, you, you think of seeing it in a theater the last time you saw it in a theater as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, it's nice to have that kind of portal through, you know, through to, through to a cinema when you watch it. And, and, you know, it strikes me just thinking about how uh, one kind of looks at that movie and you can look at all the corners. Another thing that's good about it right now is that it's a movie about going out into the world. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the main character is just kind of bumbling his way through. Um, and, and that, that's funny, but, but now it's also kind of interesting. You get to be curious with him and kind of explore the world and, and, and look at it in, in a new way. Um, and, and that's another way I think that, I, that movie would be sort of uh, satisfying. You get to see the big picture, you get to get outside. <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and Eugene, you just said, um, that you know you moved closer to the screen to mm -hmm. to look at it in different ways and it just reminded me i'm just going to do a dutiful little plug here that uh we had we ran two reviews uh, a, a book review of two books uh on playtime mm -hmm. uh by jay hoberman in the march april issue of film comment and i remember that he said that this was the film that noel birch said 
was the first to demand multiple viewings from different seats in the theater. <laughs> you know, and it's fun to think of you sort of like doing that in the domestic space uh, of the <laughs> yeah. house and like kind of using that home viewing experience to, you know, it, it's another uh, seat. I mean, I'm just imagining sort of a Tati like pose sort of bent over at the waist, <laughs> looking down with the pipe, looking down at the corner yeah, with the pipe kind of puzzled looking at various parts of the screen. It's kind of the human movie equivalent of like showing birds on a screen to a cat, right? <laughs> We're watching ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Now that, now that you mentioned it, if, if there were, if there were like a hidden camera in my apartment somewhere, um, watching me watch that movie, it would have been a very funny experience just, just to watch the way I was watching it. Cause I, I, I very quickly got up from my seat and I was moving around the, the room and moving into, you know, into the screen and leaning into the screen um, in ways that I didn't anticipate going into the, into the screening. Yeah. And Another I also thing about... feel like, um, sorry, Clint, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that that movie is such a, it's a, a tour de force of, kind of of control in a way even though uh tati's character is kind of bumbling his way through the world he's bumbling his way through like a very regulated world he doesn't that he kind of bounces off the walls of but there's a and but it also is a demonstration of his control as a filmmaker and as a um and as a physical comedian Right. Yeah. It's, it's so precise and choreographed and calibrated. I mean, space exactly. is so uh, carefully sectioned in the film. And also, I think what um, I, you know, what's most vivid about the film for me is just how gleaming all the surfaces are. It's just, you know, it's the, the aesthetic of modernity, I guess. Everything is so sterile and shiny and gleaming, just glass and metal. And I don't know, this kind of sanitized... Uh, environment and it's it is kind of you know we were talking about whether we should relate everything we see to the present moment and sometimes it's just inescapable so mm -hmm. you know I, I can't help but think of of the aesthetic of that film and how it's supposed to just crystallize modern urban living and this preoccupation with uh, with things being kind of spare and clean and how uh, something like an invisible virus just, it's so unsettling, I think, uh, because it, it's something that can't be controlled, can't be cleaned, uh, can't be swept away and organized in that way. Right. Yeah. Well, there is the, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, no, I was just going to make a silly joke about the, uh, the controversial decision to add that 30-second sequence where he's squirting Purell on his hands. I, it's sort of a right. revisionist edit, um, but, you know, I guess you have to freshen up movies a little bit now. And then kind of pulling a face as he, like, squinges his hands around. I'm sure you can imagine him being and that 20-second like... uh, sequence where he's washing his hands. Yeah. Exactly yeah. 20 seconds. It's a happy birthday. As he mouths happy birthday in French. In, in French. Precisely timed. Precisely timed, though. Yes. You know, and, and I got to say, I, 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 it's so true. Everything you're saying is so true. And I think, it, you know, there's there's moments in our lives when, when we have, like, we have a song that, 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 you know, the song that reminds us of that one summer or the book that reminds us of a particular time or a moment in our lives. And that I think that for me, like this being a movie that, that even just talking with you all about it now, it's, it's imprinting in a different way. And, and it will be something that I'll, you know, 
who knows where we'll where we'll be, uh, you know, months from now. But, but it's something that I think I'm going to try to hold on to. And I and I appreciate the uh, the analysis that you just gave, Devika, because I think that's a that's a really interesting perspective on it. And then and then and then to get to that, you know, I, I always remember this. I, I don't think about it going into the movie, but then after I see the movie, I reflect back on that that wild and exuberant dinner party scene and 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 dance dance moment in the film that you know everybody just like wildly uncontrollably um dancing as as the literally the this 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 venue is like falling apart and it's just such a such a celebration of communal you know activity and and connection among people that to even see that on the screen for a few minutes was just like kind of just 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 so exciting and it made me miss you know being in in a crowded space with a lot of people uh you know sort of yeah um, that's just, such it's just celebrating such, eugene i'm imagining you just sequence. reaching out and touching the screen in this oh, melancholy I way <laughs> i remember when yeah it's it's such a wonderful sequence, and it's also nice to see things kind of being chaotic, but like in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, things are running down, the world running down, but it's yeah, it's it's sort of in a in a, in a fun fun way. Well, um, I watched uh, if we, if we want to transition into something else, we yes. can keep talking about playtime. But I I mentioned this uh, before, but I watched the week of the Adam Sandler movie on Netflix in search of something that I could just kind of zone out to. And uh, I thought it was actually very good. And I, I would uh, I would recommend it. I think that, it, but it also has this you call this kind it of, a modern playtime? I would call it, a, yes, our playtime, our generation's playtime. <laughs> our playtime. The Sandler generation's playtime, our playtime. <laughs> um, it's a very, it's, it's a very strange movie. It, it, because it's shot in a way that makes you think it's very low budget. But then it stars Adam Sandler and Chris Rock, and is you know is is kind of studded with cameos from various celebrities. But it still has this kind of like ramshackle quality, and the the story is basically like Sandler plays um, a Long Island, a very very Long Island father, um, and Rachel Dratch plays his very Long Island wife, and. Uh, their daughter is getting married to Chris Rock's son and Chris Rock plays a incredibly successful and wealthy um, heart surgeon. And so uh, basically the movie is takes place over the course of the week before the wedding as Sandler's uh, not wealthy father tries to cobble together some kind of impressive wedding for his daughter and is foiled at every turn and everything falls apart. But um, what was kind of interesting about the movie is how uh, is that kind of perpetual uh, hang dog optimism that Adam Sandler has where you just, he kind of fumbles his way through everything and never seems to uh, allow anything to, to slow him down. He's always kind of hopeful that everything's going to work out. And in some ways it does. Uh, it's no playtime. I will say that, but um, it's certainly, it certainly yeah. was a pleasant way to to pass an hour and a half, and Chris Rock is very funny as usual. Yeah, I've I've watched a little bit about that, and actually, uh, Nelly Nelly Killian wrote it, yes. uh, a piece uh, about the the Sandler oeuvre on, on Netflix, which is what yeah, which is what inspired me to to seek it out. Also, it's directed by Robert Smigel, famed as the voice of and the mind behind uh, Triumph, the insult comic dog, among oh, you know amazing. many other 
classic Saturday Night Live sketches. Yes. So, one of, and one as of the, the best. Go ahead. Canine, one of the best canines ever. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Also, <laughs> he plays the Smigel plays the um, therapist in Marriage Story. The couple's ah. therapist. Oh, oh that's I, right. Somehow I didn't note that at all. Well, Thank a, you. A, only the diehard Robert Smigel fans wow. got that one. Which makes that scene even funnier. <laughs> right. Well, the when you know that it's, it's actually kind of a, the insult comic dog. That's yeah. right. <laughs> that's what, yeah, when he when he does uh, puppet work with uh, for, for the therapy, yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as, but I was thinking about this when you're talking about playtime and just these surfaces and just uh, or mainly just about as, as a document of, uh, of being out in the world and how strange it can be to watch to, for the, to have the, for there to be this disconnect between what we're watching and the way that we're currently living. And in this movie, he like, he keeps having to bring fit more and more family members into the house until like random people off the street are staying with him in his, you know, small Long Island house. And it's just very unsanitary and frankly sort of terrifying to watch. You know, <laughs> so, uh, not, and I'm not even mentioning the most gro- the gross out gags, which get pretty gross. I will say. <laughs> so now it and sounds you, like a combination you watch of them mother and, you, and It's like a fantasy of, of things. It's just like it's, things that are forbidden now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Being unclean. I, uh, since we're talking about comfort movies, a movie I saw a few days ago for the first time actually was Moonstruck. Uh, Oh, that's a great one. I know, starring Cher. And you can imagine my joy at, at, you know, watching it for the first time. Like, I'm sure I'm going to rewatch it many times now, but uh, just discovering it was so fun. And there's a scene at Lincoln Center, you know, because... um, Cher and Nick Cage, uh, they, oh, go, they to go to the, the opera, right? Yeah. And, yes, I remember. you know, I looked at it and just kind of reminded myself what it's like to kind of walk up those steps and, and go to work with you all. So that was my little piece of nostalgia viewing. I will say something I really enjoyed about that movie was, uh, you know, it, it is such a feel good film, you know, it's proper comfort food it's a rom-com and it kind of hits all the heartwarming and funny beats but it's also a really intelligent film uh and it's somehow able to combine both those sides really elegantly you know it's very nuanced and the characterizations are are just uh, they're a little bit strange and they're also i don't know very empathetic even the way Cher's character is kind of drawn out um she's kind of older than the usual rom-com herons, I feel. And mm-hmm. uh, her her feelings of love and wanting to settle down and grief, they're all just so, I don't know, there's a, there's a kind of playfulness to it, but also a very real sense of humanity. And I was just thinking, I hope that in some ways, because comfort movies are and feel-good movies feel much more essential right now, maybe this will like usher in uh, a new era of you know, or 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 will kind of renew the that old era of comfort movies that were actually also very smart and intelligent and great cinema. 
uh, or, or at the very least, a, another depression era style wave of screwball films. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. I'm going to use this opportunity to plug a uh, 1988 interview that we just reposted to filmcomment.com with Cher about Moonstruck, which is a, a really interesting interview, actually. And uh, so check that out by Harlan Jacobson. Cher, also worth checking out on Twitter, I have to say, uh, if you're not already following. For sure. Must follow. <laughs> Must <Yeah>. follow. <laughs> That's all I'm to say about that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think we're probably coming toward toward the end of, of our partic- this particular episode. I, I mean, I, in terms of comfort food, I, I mean, the most, most recent movie that I, I did see was Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Oh, that's um, a great one. I can't call it comfort food, exactly, um, <laughs> except in the sense that, um, you know, um, Ellen Burstyn uh, playing a uh, very quickly uh, single mom, uh, um, a, a widowed mom, um, with a kid trying to find, uh, you know, some sort of footing on the world and, and, and make, make, make a living, basically. And she's trying as a singer and in, in small towns. Um, I guess if the bright side on it is just just the sense of resilience uh, that she has and, and the, the sort of new, new kind of makeshift new family unit they have to make, the two of them, just her and her very sassy son. Yes. <laughs> um, who, loves, we, who loves sort of uh, hard rock, I think, right? It opens with that great <laughs> scene of him lying yeah. with his head right next to the speaker's. Yeah, Mop the Hoople, I think it is. Right, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he can't, st- his, his main problem with one of her uh, like in- initial suitors is just his terrible taste in music or something like that. Although he gets uh, along with Chris Christopherson, and, you he, know, to the mere presence of Chris Christopherson is often comforting. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> it is, yeah. You, you feel like things might just be okay. Um, but yeah, you know, earlier uh, Martin Scorsese feature, um, also just an interesting one to think about because it's it's in terms of his career, just because it is entirely focused and from the point of view of of Ellen Burson's character. Um, and so that's that's also interesting to watch. And it's yeah, just very moving um, and 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 just very very real uh, and and, mm-hmm. and and you know humanist. Uh, so that was a, a, gave me kind of a sh- shot in the arm just just watching that. Well, I might have to revisit Playtime. Uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore, and Moonstruck. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately. I'll have to find something different because of the nature of this podcast. So thanks for <laughs> I will say, uh, Eugene, thank I you for playtime. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. thinking about that film at all. And now that you've talked about it, it's the perfect watch. Yeah. 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 The, yeah, the, the aquarium, the aquarium world is aquarium. Um, I, I might just, I might just watch it again soon. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, and thank you, Clinton Devick, as always. I Tune in next time. We'll, we'll be here again with more movies and, and um, hopefully um, distract you for, for a moment. Um, but bye. Uh, bye for me. And uh, bye from all of us. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. 
Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.